Millennium Noggin once again for Under the Bar Podcast. And where we do the the show, it's actually in a cafe, Cafe Vivo. Mm, and just mm. up on one of the TVs, the morning TV fluff that's on, yes. Rodan, a uh, story, Dirt is Good. Exposing Mate. kids to germs can help prevent allergies and strengthen their immune We've system. We've been saying this for, for years I on mean, the podcast, look, Tom. Get, get us off the podcast and mm. get us onto some morning mm. TV. Mm. Mm. Uh, many, uh, we've said, grab the steak, throw it on the ground, yes. roll it around in the dirt, get the bacteria on it, then cook it, like back in the day. So, Under the Bar podcast, we're here once again in mm. the Millennium Noggin. Shagpile carpet. And uh, we gave you an update on uh, our uh, Wookiee sound engineer, mm. Getting a little bit of Rockstar Nookie for the Wookiee Which mm. is exciting But we mm. haven't actually heard From uh, the Wookiee for a while so Well uh, I think some people doubt <laughs> yeah. We actually have a Wookiee And we are Actually in a Millennium Noggin <laughs> And our toes are Can you hear that? Wiggling the shag, the shag pile, pile. Yes. Yeah. Well anyway There's one thing that we can verify And that's the fact that we do have An in-house Wookiee Wookiee if you please <laughs> oh. Oh, oh man! A double, yeah, double. Yeah. One. We got two bookies in that, here. That's clearly. authentic, if ever I've heard it. Yeah. Right on with okay. the show, Broderick. Back uh, to business, <laughs> Broderick. Okay, Broderick. <laughs> okay, Broderick Chavez yes. is back for part two of his uh, cellular biology one hundred and one. Mm. And what we're going to do today? We finished up talking about. Energy production and the Krebs mm. cycle. Oh, that's a doozy, that Krebs cycle. <laughs> <laughs> Still got to submit my thesis for you on the yes, Krebs cycle. your dissertation. Yes. That's right. <laughs> That'll be last minute. Yeah. yeah. I have to yeah. set a deadline for that. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, now he's going to go on to, uh, you're going to ask him about energy balance, mm-hmm. and we'll go mm-hmm. through the, the hierarchy of systems within the body and how they utilize energy, yep. which is fascinating. And then we're going on to testosterone. Ah, uh, yes. And how testosterone actually helps us build muscle the mechanism yeah. the various mechanisms involved there good um, and at the very actually at the very end of the interview I try and chuck another curly one mm. at, at Broderick hard to get one over on him though and ask him if he'd heard of uh, Terence McKenna mm. and surprisingly enough Broderick has read I hadn't. had read all of Terence McKenna's uh, all of his work all of his books so a bit of an insight for the listener well, who, ins- who's this guy he needs a haircut apparently is that, is yes, that him yes yes he's, yes um, well he's dead now oh, but uh, R.I.P he certainly did need a haircut anyone out there who's in any way which doctor he mm. inclined into the mushrooms. Yeah, do yourself a favor and Google Terence McKenna theory on evolution or something like that. There'll be a yep. million things come up. But essentially his theory, Rawdon, was that <laughs> as primates were forced out of trees and onto uh-huh. the, the African savanna due yep. to a, a changing climate Tick. and dietary pressure to get down and expand I'm, I'm with you. what yep. they're eating, mm-hmm. they were inherently exposed to eating mushrooms okay. uh, containing a psychoactive ingredient called psilocybin. Uh-huh. And at very low doses, and they've done studies on this, uh-huh. psilocybin, the first thing it, d- it does is it enhances visual acuity. So okay. it actually enhances your ability for peripheral vision and you yep. see more sharply. So mm. he argues, McKenna argues, that provides an advantage for hunting, hunting and gathering. an advantage in escaping prey, seeing big cats and things mm. um, through the grass. Peripheral. Peripheral vision. Mm. Mm. At slightly higher doses, mm-hmm. um, it's a, a CNS stimulant. Ooh, a bit like, like the Alpha GPC. The Alpha GPC. Yep. Uh, or a bit like the uh, Uhimbi because it also <laughs> produces an erection Ooh. in the male. And, what doesn't it do? <laughs> Give me some of these mushies. And so his theory is that it caused a more... Uh, orgiastic sexual style mm. and that it sort of broke down barriers of male dominance because it was not that's not my child it's 
our children because yes. he couldn't trace lines of male paternity. <laughs> at, 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 <laughs> oh higher, at higher doses still, it induces the full-on psychedelic experience uh-huh. and uh, McKenna would argue that that's where human consciousness evolved from, this, this ability for higher you know, artwork, language, uh-huh. all these kinds of things that make us human. And, and so that's his, uh, that's his theory on evolution and he, and he can break it down in but much more detail. Broderick, uh, Broderick is not, not buying it. No, 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 he doesn't buy it. No, no. He doesn't buy it. Um, all right. but, but that's the thing about Broderick. He's open to all these things and he, yeah. he's, read, he's been through all the work and, and uh, yeah, fascinating. So, uh, <laughs> so that's coming up. Okay, that's, so we've got Dr. Up. Chavez coming up. To get in contact with the podcast, go to underthebarpodcast.com. The challenge is still out there for a yes. speak pipe. Speak doesn't pipe. matter what you do. Leave I mean, it and it will be played. Yeah, you can do whatever you want into that pipe. Yep. And we're hands are tied. Yeah, it's going gonna, straight to air. It's going straight to air. Warts and all. <laughs> um, all right, let's have a sting. Thanks, uh, Mr. Bookie, and then we'll get to the rest of the show. Evolutionary biologist Broderick Chavez coming up very shortly on Under the Bar podcast. Rod, and before we do that, we thought we might have a little bit of a chat about uh, testosterone. Oh, in, in, yes. In relation the elephant in the room. <laughs> it's, a, it's a hypertrophy. Mm. And uh, look, just in the coming weeks, and this is very hush-hush, yes. uh, but we may have... Uh, uh, we may have uh, one of the wrangled leading authorities mm. on, uh, mm. on, on, on all things testosterone. On all things testosterone, but... Yeah. Okay. We'll just say, oh, you sound like he's a bit of a scallywag. Yeah, well, yeah. I just don't want to give too much away. All right, but exciting. Coming up. But getting back to it, testosterone. Getting, getting back to it, uh, we were talking pre-show about uh, mTOR pathways and, and testosterone yeah. availability and, and how that affects building muscle. So Broderick's going to go into um, into building muscle. He's going to go to the mechanics, that's right. Mechanics, yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, I was just going to say, um, you, you sort of said, uh, you know, uh, what's your thoughts on that? And I... Some of my time spent talking to uh, both Menno Henselmans and uh, Broderick Chavez on the very topic. Um, you know, I guess it's that uh, part of that uh, anabolic cascade that occurs uh, after a, a training bout or a training session. So we, we provide the stimulus that disrupts homeostasis. mTOR, that, that master mechanistic target of rapamycin. It used to be mamma, mamma, mammalian yeah. uh, target, but now it's it's found in plants and all types of stuff so yep. it's mechanistic mechanistic um, so mTOR is the enzyme that orchestrates uh, it's at the top of the uh, hierarchy and then it's all downstream beneath yes and um, what I was explained uh, from the guys uh, and they were sort of uh, quite uh, in sync I suppose so they're both uh, on the money uh, both uh, Henselman's and uh, Chavez but it was along the lines of mTOR will look at uh, the stimulus provided so that's uh, you know how you actually trained whether there it warrants an adaptation yep okay so the stimulus is there and then one of the things that uh, it will look like energy uh, energy levels. Yep. Okay, can we actually build muscle? So we look at energy uh, glucose in the bloodstream, that type of stuff. Yeah. Uh, amino acid availability again, hyperaminoacidemia. Are you postprandial and have you know an adequate supply of amino acids, or you've taken some sort of supplementation while you train? Some BCAs, EAAs. So we'll look at that. But one of the other things that it will look at is uh, you know how anabolic the environment is in that. Um, you know what testosterone levels are, are doing 
fundamentally. And and I guess that is one of the reasons why, you know, females, uh, men always, uh, generally speaking, will always build more muscle than a female because mm. it, it's just more of the raw materials uh, present to actually fuel uh, the hypertrophy and growth and it's yes. not so much that the females are completely different beasts although there's estrogen involved obviously with the female side of things but from a um, you know testosterone being involved in that anabolic uh, process you know it's one of the reasons why the female just won't get as much muscle simply because their testosterone levels are far far less compared to a male's mm. and it's the reason why when people supplement testosterone or anabolics uh, you know, they grow so much is because uh, obviously it's dependent on, um, you know, uh, still the same things, you know, energy, um, amino acid, yeah, the stimulus that you provide. But, but the, uh, you know, it's almost like the, the, the testosterone levels or this super physiological levels will be far more influential mm. uh, even in the presence of low energy or, or poor amino acid av- uh, uh, availability, yeah. i.e., you know, when, when uh, you know, someone diets hard or aggressively when they are on uh, exogenous supplementation, they can maintain a lot of muscle mass because it just even though mTOR is uh, looking at all the variables, you know, this, it's just such a pronounced anabolic, anabolic status within, yeah. the, within the muscle. It's just like, well, we don't really have the energy or the amino acid availability, but we're getting this ridiculous signal to keep building muscle, so it must be good. Let's build muscle. Yeah. Let's certainly maintain muscle. Yeah. Obviously, they can't build it out of, out of thin air, but, mm. but um, and, 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 and that's the, the, the beauty, if you will, or the, the, the main point of difference with individuals that uh, are supplementing using supplementation exogenously is their inherent ability to maintain far more muscle mass mm. but um, but yeah the testosterone is part of that uh, that yeah. a, the uh, uh, anabolic cascade that occurs yep. and and it is one of the variables many variables that uh, this uh, mechanistic target of rapamycin once it's initiated from the mm. training bout will look at and then orchestrate the the and genetics comes into it and, and everything else mm. will, will di- dictate what actually happens and to what level but testosterone is also a, a crucial part in that uh, puzzle as well mate you mentioned the energy availability and of course the amino acid availability and, mm. and one of the things that Tibbs was actually talking about when he was out here this is uh, Christian Tobito the tippy toes of course was that in the absence of testosterone or, or a lower testosterone mm. level one can still build some muscle yep. through those growth factors through the mTOR pathway IGF-1 Mm. Um, you know, factoring in energy availability and uh, adequate stimulus and amino mm. acid availability, mm. that's still an ability to, not as effective with a, a highly anabolic environment, but mm. it's still possible mm. unless uh, a catch. unless there's an overproduction of cortisol. Cortisol, <laughs> yeah. So for people who are highly stressed and overproducing cortisol, yeah. the issue there is that it, it's there's this concept called the pregnenolone steel. Yep, yep. The cortisol production will cut pregnenolone off at the pass and Mm. pregnenolone is the raw materials from which your testosterone and those anabolic hormones are going to be built from Mm. and so that's the one factor and certainly from Tibbs' perspective the the rate limiting factor in results from training is overproduction of those stress hormones for a variety of reasons and and Broderick I was talking to Broderick about it um, and he was saying look you know they're they're sort of conditionally antagonistic Mm. cortisol and and these anabolic hormones he Mm. said but basically you know if you're sleeping well you're eating well you're training well 
you're not pulling your hair out, you're quite relaxed. Fair to assume that anabolic hormones are quite high mm. and stress hormones are reasonably low. So there's. But I guess, and one of the points you made at the seminar uh, a couple, couple of weeks weekend, back now, yeah, yep. one of the points you made, it was almost like this stress. Uh, Paycheck, you know, you have a you have a, a ledger, you know, yes. you have a hundred bucks to spend, yep. and that would sort of make uh, make sense. It's not so much, um, you know, if you, if if uh, if you're stressed, uh, you won't build muscle. It's like, well, if you put all your dollars in stress, you're going to have very little to to build muscle. So yes. it's, uh, you know, on a very simplistic view, yeah, okay, you can get into the the the, the finite details of pregnenolone steel and and this and that, but but basically, you know, you need to allocate some. You know, cash in your hundred dollars that you have to spend every day uh, towards training and 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 uh, you know positive stress. Mm. You know, from the training session, from yep. the 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 negative energy balance to get fat loss or whatever it is. You can't invest all your dollars, your stress dollars, in um, uh, before you even get to the gym. Yes, because you'll uh, like you pointed out. There's uh, under the hood. There's various things happening that that are really going to limit how much muscle you can actually build. So. So again, it sort of reiterate the point you made that um, you know choose where you put your stress wisely. Yeah, invest it. Invest it. Invest yeah. it wisely. Well, stress is good. Yeah, I mean, that was your point as well. Yeah. and 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 that that's sort of a concept that uh, you know is is maybe not familiar with a lot of people. And uh, stress is excellent. It's mm. it's 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 what changes us and and makes the muscle grow. Makes no growth without it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, as a, as an individual in life, you, you know, yes. stress you, you you just bumble along through life and and you know you're no different or you know uh, you don't grow. So, um, but it's a matter of, like you said, uh, how does the body, how do you respond to that stress? Mm. That's the uh, the clincher. But All uh, right. fascinating. Really good stuff, mate. Let's uh, go to Mr. Chavez for part two of his Cellular <laughs> Biology 101. And uh, he's about to get into uh, how the energy cells balance and how the cells utilize the various, the hierarchy. The hierarchy of energy utilization. And the testosterone. And that kind of stuff. Yeah. Awesome. Oh, no! Reevaluate your life, asshole. You're fucking it up because you can't cheat biology. A thousand grams of carbohydrates a day. That's what I'm fucking doing because you can't cheat biology. Okay, this is awesome, bro. Okay, I'm yeah. getting a nice, nice picture, and I think our listeners are as well because Tommy and I are pretty uh, dopey. And if we can get it, I think you guys are getting it. Yep. So cool. Now, what dictates? Now, is it energy balance that dictates what? Uh, yes. what the cells are going to choose uh, obviously in a deficit um, um, is there a hierarchy it would be primarily fats yeah. fueling this Krebs cycle there's or? where you're asking there's where you're actually asking questions that I might not be able to answer in such a general fashion because again with the diversity and specialization of cells certain cells do have different hierarchies and necessities uh, you know for instance brain cells can almost yeah. exclusively only run on sugar or ketones yep, yep, yep. Whereas muscle cells can burn almost anything, uh, certain specialized cells in the liver only burn amino acids. So there has developed a level of specificity and, and, and preferentiation that is a little beyond the scope of this talk. But in a general sense, all of the cells can do all of the things for the most part. And the hierarchy, roughly speaking, is carbohydrate first. Uh, fat second, protein last. That's okay. the general cool. biologically acknowledged hierarchy. Carbohydrate is meant to be the fuel of cells. Um, fatty acids are the backup fuel when carbohydrates run low, and amino acids are intended, with some exceptions, uh, the branch change in glycine and a couple others do in fact get burned for energy here and there. But uh, uh, glutamine, I said glycine, I apologize. 
glutamine. I mean, uh, branch chain to glutamine. But in general, they are not intended to be used as energy because they are very vital and hard to produce and are necessary to actual growth, repair, and maintenance, which, again, if you're a living creature, if you can't perform maintenance, you'll, well, like anything, if you can't perform maintenance on your car, it'll fucking break down and, quote, die. Mm, so yeah. maintenance is a very, very relevant point to a living creature. Um, so those are typically tiered as the last resort as energy Very because cool. if you're using it for energy you can't use them for repair and reproduction which is right. the purpose biological purpose of life wow it's this uh it's pretty fancy this body of ours isn't it how it does all these things without uh well, without know, thought again, nature has had something that we humans don't and i, I point this out to all the environmental assholes and the the, the gmo assholes and all this, this nonsense is Nature's had a fucking staggering amount of time for trial and error to get this shit right. Mm. So much more than humans. Yeah. You know, we make a big deal, you know, oh, Dr. So-and-so spent his entire life working on this. Yeah, but you know, the cosmos has spent, I don't know, four and a half billion years yeah. figuring out how to derive energy out of fatty acids. So yeah. Dr. Schmucky Schmuck just doesn't really compare, really. Yeah. So you got to keep in mind, yeah, it's amazing, but when you put it in the time scales, it's actually pretty appropriate. Mm. So, when there's no none of these <laughs> complex molecules coming in, so I'm one of Rawdon's clients, and I'm yes. a couple of weeks out from a show, and uh -huh. there's, there's not that much food coming in, what does the body do to resort? Uh, does it tap into the stored fat then to, exactly. to start creating it goes that ATP? That I listed. As carbohydrate availability diminishes, it looks for its next favorite fuel source, which would be fatty acids. And if you're not eating them, it has the option of liberating them from those aforementioned kind of parking garage cells that hold free fatty acids in the form of triglycerides. So, you know, a whole bunch of complicated feedback loops fire, which releases adrenaline, epinephrine, lipase, and that circulates in the blood. And when it finds its way to fat cells, it sends a message to that nucleus we talked about and that message is, yeah. spit some fucking fat out. We need it. Mm. So it does so. Fats enter the bloodstream. Now you have blood triglycerides. They get to the liver. They're processed into a more usable and feasible uh, fuel substrate. That gets to the cells, enter the Krebs cycle. Voila, you get your ATP. Um, I'm, I'm making it really childlike and simple. It's actually super fucking complicated. But that's the, that's the thumbnail version of what is happening. Mm. Perfect. Beautiful. Very good. Now, also, in the, to be fair, in the background, while that's happening, as I said, the third, you know, tier of fuel is amino acids, and your body probably, to balance the equation on a moment-to-moment -moment basis, might have to step up the utilization of nitrogen-based molecules, so you get a small amount of protein utilization for energy, and possibly even protein catabolism. But in general, the body tries to fill the gap with the next in line, which is fatty acids fatty acids okay very good so nice. i'm one of uh, rawdon's clients again and i've gone off plan i couldn't handle good it one. And, and i've gone out and, and you're and fired <laughs> i've got, had a big burger and chips mm. um am i immediately back into just using that as the the atp do i store some of that like how does it work in the other direction why would a fat cell store fatty acids well see there's where people get really confused mm. um even like i'm, I'm going to step sideways and talk about something else come back to that Yep. Uh, because you know the, your listeners probably very familiar and comfortable talking about muscle. You know, oh, I'm, I'm I'm lifting weights, I'm building muscle, and 
the reality is that is not a linear nor local process. Everything from the top of your head to the bottom of your fucking feet is involved and in some way affected by the processes going on. So while you're, quote, building muscle in your bicep, it's completely believable that your body is stealing or borrowing the necessary substrates to do that momentary thing from somewhere else. So you can actually be catabolizing your left calf to build your right bicep momentarily. Hmm. You know, I'm, I'm just picking shit at random. I mean, it's not yeah. that specific. But hmm. I mean, just in general, the body gets what it needs when it needs it from wherever the fuck it's at, uses it, and then deals with the repercussions later. So this idea that, oh, you've been catabolic and you burnt some fat, and then all of a sudden you get an influx of food, it kind of goes everywhere. Some cells are storing it because they don't momentarily need it, so they're all right, we'll stick that in a fat cell. But over here, there might actually be you know, actual biological activity that's using energy, so that enters the Krebs cycle and gets derived down. Some others, there's you know, there might be four or five transmissions of uh, stored as fat, oh no, that was wrong, pull it out, uh, metabolize it, uh, we metabolize a little too much, store the pieces. So it's not this smooth Either you're burning fat or you're not. Either you're building muscle or you're not. It's what's going on, where you're at, when you're at at that moment. And then there's just kind of a big overriding ledger balance sheet, if you will, that at the end of the day, week, month, you go, ah, you did in fact eat a little more than you burned. Your ultimate mass went up or the other way around. But right. it's not this at exactly 257, I'm burning fat. No, yeah. you might be storing fat in your ass, burning fat in your legs. And building muscle in your arms, and you got to wait until all that's done and balance the equation. And I love this. Um, we, we we talk about this quite a bit, and I've spoken about this on the the program before. But you know, our listeners may not actually realize, even in a, a caloric restricted state where you're on you know next to nothing, there's perpetually this ebb and flow of when you eat a meal, the body will store fat from that meal, irrespective of if you're in a deficit or a surplus. It's just boom, Absolutely. store fat, and then mm. it's like, oh, okay, like Broderick said, well, there's no energy coming out, let's liberate some. So it's not like you're in an energy deficit, so you don't store any fat. Uh-uh. Every time uh, an intake of energy comes in, it boom, st- uses some immediately, like uh, as far as I understand, like Broderick was saying, immediate uh, in the bloodstream, it will utilize it, but then what's left is boom, stored. And then as, uh, you know, either it's a small uh, intake of energy, so that process uh, is over and done, and then you're in a fasted state again, it's, and then, you know, the stress hormones go up, adrenaline goes up, catecholamines, lipase, all this cool stuff, cortisol, let's get some fatty acids, let's mobilize some fat, then another meal, okay, great, store, boom, boom, boom. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, like Broderick said, that ledger, mm. more time in that fasted, liberating fatty acid state, uh, less time above the line, Adding uh, adding fat to the to the to the uh, the system, I guess you get fat loss, and over that week, that month, it, it correlates to whatever. And um, obviously, when we have when we're not in negative energy balance, and uh, we have bigger meals, then those periods where we're semi-fasted and liberating fat are less and less. And then when we eat even bigger meals with even more energy, more frequently, that's where mm-hmm. there's no liberation of fats and it's fat gain and, and, and it goes upward from there. Yeah. So it's this always uh, ebb and flow back and, and forth. And, it's even, this- and even in that, like you have to think, well, you don't have to, but I mean, just as, just to, 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 to expand on that even more, think about not all tissues are equally active at every moment. For instance, immediately post-workout, there might be vast amount of activity in your quadriceps because you just trained them there might be absolutely no activity in your traps. 
So there could be storage in one area and vast utilization in another. It's not as if you're momentarily head to toe catabolic or anabolic or yeah. lipogenic or you know. It's not that way. It's it's just like the concept of a city. You know, there's different things going on in different neighborhoods at all times. But as a rule, you can draw a circle around it and say, roughly this happened in this city. Roughly this is the, the nature of things. But if you get down to the specialization and specificity, it's not smooth at all. It's mm. very clumpy and specific and, you know, it doesn't follow a one directional rule. No, because the, the, the body's basically living moment to moment and just doing whatever is the most, the top of the list, whatever the biggest Hierarchy. priority is, it's dealing with that. Right. Yeah. But even then, when you say the body, you have to think it's not just the body, because it is the body, but then it's also each individual system within the body. You know, the muscular system might be looking out for its best needs, but the endocrine system could be doing something different, and the mm. digestive system's doing something different, the bottoms of your fucking feet are doing something different yet. Mm. So it's not as if everybody's on the same page and all going, let's get together and build big pecs. Yeah. No, it's a whole bunch of processes, and maybe if you get it right, you'll get to build big pecs in the middle. Like, that that's the reality of it. Yeah, yeah. very cool, man, very cool. Well, while we're talking about building big pecs, why mm. don't we go on to a little bit of the activity that goes on in a muscle cell? Yeah, very so good. So I'll, I'll chuck another quote um, out at you, Roderick, that you uh, you said that I'd like a bit more explanation on. Testosterone mediates the release and distribution of contractile proteins. Ooh, that's so, a doozy. So, you might regret saying that one. Yeah, you look have it, to break that down. Because I've always wondered, you know, what, what is it about testosterone that makes you build muscle? Yeah. I don't actually know. Okay. Well, actually, yeah. Well, it, it, and and it before actually, it segues into what we've been talking about. We yep. talked about you know a cell being a boundary, some stuff inside, and then a nucleus. Yep. Well, muscle cells have gotten considerably more elaborate and specialized. And one of the organelles associated with a muscle cell is this receptor. It's this pocket or divot or socket. Actually, it's probably a more accurate word on the surface of the cell that allows this complex organic molecule known as you know, cholesterol-based organic molecule known as testosterone to click into that socket. And when it does so, it transmits information. That's the key. That's also one of the keys of a living thing is it is respondent to information or stimuli. And this large molecule known as testosterone or DHT or nandrolone or any, you know, the one synthetic that human beings have made still clicks into that exact same receptor. And it transmits a message, uh, not that it's relevant to this, but via something called cyclic AMP. And that cyclic AMP goes from the, the that boundary layer, that cell membrane, through the jelly goodness to the nucleus. And it tells it something. In the case of muscle cell, what it says is a whole variety of things, including, and relevant to us in this conversation, we need more contractile protein. And so that nucleus then arranges its genetic material in such a way that it can basically kind of photocopy the nucleus, which is the starting point for building a whole new cell. And so it manufactures, it sends the necessary messages to all the various places to manufacture these contractile proteins. Um, the, the nucleus carries that, um, the template. So the, the actual fibers in a bicep that contract are something called actin and myosin. Those are the two 
strands, and they're kind of frayed, and when you contract, they kind of, like, cinch up on each other. If you've ever held, like, a, a strand of plastic over a candle and seen how it, like, scrunches up real quick, mm. that's that's basically what a muscle fiber does. It's via these two different proteins scrunching up against one another. One's actin and one's myosin. And this nucleus carries the genetic information for actin and myosin. It doesn't actually make them right there, in fact, but it, it carries that information. And then that nucleus sends that information to a specific variety of, of, of manufacturing equipment called a ribosome, uh, which exists on something called this rough endoplasmic reticulum, uh, which is way beyond the scope of this context, but it's kind of the, uh, the framework. It's like the the chicken wire you put the paper mache on. Okay. And that chicken wire is this lattice that is the endoplasmic reticulum. And on it are these little bumps called ribosomes. These little bumps are like little, um, that's a good analogy to use. The old, um, oh, what was the thing called where you like tapped and sent like messages? Like the Morse little, code. Like, Mor- Morse. Morse code. You know, it, it, you like a little tap and uh, two taps is a letter and three taps is a different mm. letter. That's kind of how these things work. And what they do is they get this information that Contractile protein is needed, and contractile protein exists as, and then it's one glutamine, one cysteine, one adenine, and all these. It, it knows the combination of amino acids because that's ultimately all protein is, and it assembles them. It and then it grabs, and everybody talks about the free amino acid pool and having enough amino acids available for protein manufacture. That's where this comes in. So these. The amino acids are swirling around in the blood. The ribosome grabs its necessary isoleucine, and it sticks it on the chain. And then it looks for the next thing, which is a glutamine, and it sticks it on the chain. And so you get this kind of like ribbon of series of amino acids, which is known as a protein. And when it's completed, now you've got this its probably hundreds of amino acid chain that is, in fact, a protein. At that moment, a whole bunch of really complicated stuff that I'm not even capable of describing to you. Mm-hmm. It's something called protein packaging, and it's this staggeringly complex deal where that ribbon of amino acids is somehow folded into a bundle and transported to the place where it needs to be and put in there. And basically, that's all magic. I don't even actually understand how it happens, but I know that it does. But anyway, ribosomes manufacture this series of amino acids known as a protein. And then they get to where they're supposed to be, and they're basically installed, like you would put parts on your car. They're installed in that area, and now you have quote repaired, you know, muscle yeah. protein. And, and that's the that's basically the process of anabolism. And that and that's stored uh, where it's stored in rabbit's ears uh, is where we've just trained with uh, mechanotransduction, yes, the, the, the signals the from train. so the manufacture of quadricep proteins would take place. On the surface of the quadricep, yes. Yeah, but as a result of we've been in the gym, we've now said uh, the body, uh, okay, we need some more muscle on the leg. So those, you know, the intramuscular tension, all these things are, are, are translated into, I think it's mechanotransduction, but but the signals and then uh, testosterone is part of that process that, you know, they're all sort of harmoniously. signaling mechanism that tells the nucleus to send the coded information to the ribosomes that that particular protein is necessary. And the testosterone is, is again, involved in this crescendo of, of uh, anabolism. It's, uh, 
And then yeah. if, if and, and I suppose to a degree, I mean, that's, that's the significance of, of using anabolics. You know, this, this yeah, whole process is, is, is ramped up and, and is on steroids pretty much. You exactly. know. Think of hormones in general. They, they know it's as what they are. They're the messengers. Hormones yeah. are the messengers. Something in the brain triggers, um, you know, a very small hormone that goes to some sort of gland, in this case the testes, and releases the message that, you know, anabolism protein manufacture is necessary. Yeah. Just like something in the brain triggers the hypothalamus to release growth hormone or the pancreas to release insulin. or The process is roughly the same, and this release of whatever is a messenger. Yeah. Even insulin is a messenger that, you know, substrates need to be removed from the blood and introduced into cells. Um, insulin itself has a slightly more active role in the process, but it is still ultimately just a messenger signaling hormone. Uh, and, and that's the case here. So think of it like, um, you know, if it's the messenger, the more of it is, the more of the message gets delivered. If you send one guy out to warn that the, you know, the, the, the English are coming, that's one guy. If you send 500 people out, the message gets out considerably more effective. Mm. So that, that's yeah. the basic concept of why anabolic steroids work is you're sending a greater and greater volume of message that this action needs to take place. For sure. So I guess what I'm trying to clarify for our listeners is you know, the whole process. We understand testosterone being present. Obviously, more of it mediates more of this, like you said, the messengers, new contractile protein, but we need that to a degree, that stimulus to occur uh, initially, that training session, um, that training bout. Actually, you need a clarification there. Anabolism is not, in nature, in normal homeostatic nature, it's going on completely independent of exercise. At every minute of the day, again, think about this. Lots of complex processes are going on, and you're talking about organic molecules. Proteins literally have a lifespan. So just randomly, proteins in your skin, in your legs, in your quadricep muscles, in the the ends of your hair, they die, mm. and they need to be replaced. So there's something called protein turnover. So at all times, there's basic anabolism in terms of basic minute-to-minute, uh, -minute, day day-to-day kind of housekeeping and repair. Mm, yeah. So anabolism is a constant background noise to the biological process. Exercise makes a very distinct and necessary local stimulus for this, but in general, anabolism's going on as well as catabolism and a number of other sideways processes are going on all the time all over the place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, that, that, that's cool. That's independent of what I was going to explain. What I was trying to say was paint the picture for our listeners because as much as this is all fascinating, we're learning about the physiology of the cell, our listeners just want to know how to get jacked as fuck, basically. <laughs> so what I'm trying to point out is that, that these things are all... Uh, for optimal because one person can train get massive the next person trained doesn't get massive and there's a variety of reasons for that but on a cellular level the the now if that testosterone is low then you know then that whole process even though we're sending the signal two people training legs the same both send the same signals but one may have a very uh, a, a, an environment that's not very anabolic due to a low testosterone level and they just do not get the growth because all the pieces in that puzzle are not there. You're, you're absolutely right, and you and I have talked about this to some degree, you know, genetic deviation within individuals. Um, it's even more insidious than that because there's so many working parts. Yeah. No two yeah. people yeah. might have the same number of muscle cells to begin with. Well, that the number of cells you have in which to erect changes on 
has an impact. No two people might have the same number of receptors. They might not have the same amount of testosterone. Yeah. The simple signaling mechanism, like your brain may not, um, between the difference between two people, uh, with equal amount of muscular damage, might get two different impulses for the release of testosterone. Even if they had similar testosterone levels, the body might uh, react, or dare I say overreact, differently within people. So there's so many stages to this yeah. process, and there's so many opportunities for deviation that the concept that two people would be even remotely similar is really far-fetched. Mm. Well, I mean, that, that's important to point out, though, because, you know, our listeners will have clients that, well, one, one set of uh, training and nutrition prescription will work really well, and the next it will be, you know, there will nothing happen. But, yeah. the, you know, as much as they can, th- there's, there might be plenty of holes that they can plug in, in, in their systems and their methods and, and lots of I's to dot and T's to cross. But beyond that, you're also limited by what's happening on uh, beneath. And, um, Absolutely. And that M, uh, we, we hear of that mechanistic target arapamycin, the, the mTOR enzyme, this, this master enzyme. Now, that also plays a role, Burdick, where that, that is uh, almost all these processes are uh, controlled by this master enzyme, which looks at things like, okay, well, let's, how much testosterone do we have? Okay, check. Okay, we've got a ton of testosterone. Tick. Okay, we've got the stimulus. Great, we've trained. Tick. Good. Nice activation there. What are? What's our energy balance like? Good. We're in energy surplus. Nice. What's our amino acid pool like? Great. Hyperamino acid. Well, hell, let's make some muscle. So. You know, any number of those things, on top of all the things that you just pointed about with receptors and, and everything else, you know, all those, everything has to be aligned uh, optimally to, to really create that optimal environment for hypertrophy. It is um, a complex beast. Mm. It, it really is. And interestingly, again, going back to that evolutionary thing, isn't it interesting in a conceptual sense that all of these incredibly complicated and seemingly diverse processes ultimately come down to one strange little protein named after the Easter Island heads. Isn't it weird that all of this stuff would be tied to such a fundamental thing? It's almost as if this started a really long time ago in a much more simplistic fashion, mm. and we've been building on it in terms of complexity over the eons. Absolutely. Yeah, look, it is, and that's a perfect storm that Rawdon's just described there. Like, if you go back to what you were saying, Roderick, you know, when that testosterone sends the message that we need more yep. contractile protein what we're trying to do is actually get more than what we need mm. you know and so exactly. why would the That's body the want to do that is yeah. exercise particularly yeah. weight-bearing exercise is a contrivance you're trying to generate a very specific and relatively unnatural state yeah yeah it's going against evolution it's the last thing it wants to do like to, to uh, a large degree yeah. because muscle is very energy intensive and the body doesn't really want to need more energy because the more energy you need, the more time you have to spend foraging, and the less time you can do cool shit like reproducing. Mm. I might just chime in there, Broderick, while we are talking about testosterone, and um, I will actually quote Tommy, one of his uh, one of his uh, athletes that he's working with, his clients, um, has started some testosterone therapy uh, through a doctor, but you know he now uh, is a completely different beast. You know he's bouncing off the walls, he's clicking his heels, loving life, even his. His person, like you, Tommy said, two different. I mean, you can elaborate, Tom, but two mm. different people. Like, what's? I mean, we all know that it's. You know how uh, hear all these things. How wonderful testosterone is. I mean, that's a whole. It's a completely different being. It's like it's a different person in the same <laughs> yeah, body. Yeah. Like, what's actually? 
I mean, I find emotionally it and in the brain everything. and everything. Yeah, like, it's just it was a, it was a completely different person. What's what's happening uh, for this individual? How does testosterone have such a profound impact on on the body as a whole? In psychology, yeah, in psychology, everything. Well, it's it, again, it's so I'm gonna you know I'm gonna understate this radically and miss a whole bunch of points, and people are probably gonna call and yell at me, and, and they'd be <laughs> right to do so because testosterone is a phenomenally systemic concept. The yeah. molecule itself goes everywhere, and it has some minor actions almost everywhere. I mean, people think about it as the, oh, it's the muscle-building thing, or perhaps some people think of it in relevance to fertility. But beyond that, they, they stop thinking about it. But the reality is anybody you know that's you know taken a whole bunch of testosterone you know, in high school or something, it generates effects all over the place. It changes your voice. It changes the texture of your skin. Mm. You, you, know, you may get acne. You may get hair growth. Um, you may lose hair. I mean, it is a very, very systemic thing. It, it has actions almost every tissue in your body, from your prostate, like I said, to your hair. It even uh, has some impact on some brain chemicals. So yeah. the idea that it would have this radical impact on someone's you know, being, as it were, is pretty obvious. And to, 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 to conceptualize it, take a moment and clear your mind and realize little boys become grown men. Now stop for a moment and think about the fucking radical differences. Besides morphology, okay, little kids grow up, they get taller and bigger and put on weight, gain muscle, but think about the difference even in the emotional capacity, the reaction to stresses, everything's different. Mm -hmm. And one of the major differences between children and adults is they've not yet gone through puberty, which is a euphemism for getting washed in whatever sex hormone their gender requires, estrogen or testosterone. So if you take this blank little androgynous template that's a 10-year-old boy and dump a gram of testosterone in them, they suddenly start behaving like a man. Yeah. Well, mm. think about this. If you take a man and you take away the testosterone, what are you going to get? You're going to full-size 10-year-old boy. I mean, I'm, I'm not doing justice to the complexity of this issue, but I'm putting it in a context that you might be able to understand. It's also one of the reasons why I tell people to stop having their fucking dogs neutered. And, you know, stop, stop and think about your buddy and how, you know, how flaccid and you know, bereft his life was, and then a couple hundred milligrams of testosterone, he started acting like a real person. Well, yeah. people do that to their dogs because they don't actually want a dog. They want that bereft little docile you know, guy, and it just drives me crazy. Yeah. Anyway, that's completely yeah. off topic. Anyway, <laughs> a valid sorry. point, though, valid when point. you look at it from that perspective, yes. Yeah. Yeah. yes. Very cool. Well, systemic. And I guess it also ties up when you guys talk about uh, how the mechanisms for fat loss or hypertrophy take a little while to, to sort of kick into gear Manifest, because yeah. it takes time for one uh, one process to actually start to override and be the dominant result at the yeah. end of a period of time yeah. just because there's so much ebb and flow of the body going yeah. on all, all the time. It's a What's normal? of yeah. different processes. You know, so, oh, testosterone goes up, but then a whole bunch of enzymes need to come into play, and some of that testosterone gets rolled over to estrogen, and that estrogen does something important that ultimately comes around and has an impact on adrenaline and epinephrine mm. and brain chemicals and, you know, uh, acetylcholine and, uh, you know, uh, uh, adenosine in the brain. And so it's, it's not like you're just one thing and you're waiting for it to happen. It's one domino you click, and now you have to wait for all the dominoes to fall all over the fucking place to finally get the result you're looking for. Yeah, and, and, and I guess we might sort of uh, start wrapping things up, but maybe uh, painting that picture that you sort of touched on there that, uh, you know, it's um, for our listeners, either it be fat loss or, or um, 
you know muscle gain it's like a an averages over time you know that, that, that you've said before and and you know like you, you might change your your training and your, your nutrition and your lifestyle to to focus on hypertrophy or maybe you don't maybe that's what you do need to do if you want to focus on that or if it's fat loss but but these things these processes take time you know the body knows uh, a fatter you so you know a week of dieting it's not gonna it's not really gonna do much you know two weeks okay we'll start losing some fat but but you know if you do want to have a a leaner physique then you have to create that is your world you have to set that up and it takes time and you have to live in that world for an extended period before it becomes reality Mm. the new set point and same with muscle mass you know like our listeners might be like yeah i'd like to be 100 kilos uh cool okay well uh train like you're you're 100 eat like you're 100 kilos and then uh you know uh, do that for a, a couple of years and then you'll be 100 kilos that'll be the norm for you but mm-hmm. you know i think realistic goals as well as a, a really important um and even for my competitors it's like everyone without a i could i could quote every if i had a recorder and recorded everything this is what they will say coming into comp i'm going to maintain this afterwards i want to stay this lean all year round <laughs> i said oh really okay so you're going to keep doing two hours cardio eating a, a thousand calories a day for the whole year round okay cool let's maybe be a little more realistic mm. let's keep a, a leaner more conditioned physique but but again it's um that that ledger and these balances over the averages over time and and really spending more time uh pushing whatever goal it is to create that new set point um i, I have people that want to work with me and it's like um, you know, I want to get ready for the show. I'm, I'm 16 weeks out, but I, I need to build this amount of muscle. I need to work. It's like, well, when do you think that's going to happen? Mm. Like, so I think, um, yeah, my realization of these processes and, and I guess talking to a lot, spending a lot of time with you, Broderick, now when, um, when I do talk to people and they do sort of uh, ask how long it will be to do various things rather than a, take them on and start coaching them and hope for the best, it's like, well, actually what you want to do is going to take more like this and it's more like a 12-month proposition either at, uh, for fat loss or high, a hypertrophy gain but mm. um, I think that's really important too and irregardless of, of using any sort of uh, enhancement um, uh, anabolics wise I mean these processes just take time yeah I mean you know, for instance that whole thing I talked about ribosomes you know tapping out the message and sticking together amino acids they can simply only do that so fast now with greater hormone stimulus and you know exogenous hormones and that sort of thing you might get more of them doing it but the actual moment to moment sticking amino acids together making these proteins can only take place at a given rate Mm. there is a maximum physiological rate that any one process can happen and that's it and 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 would you also say that about fat loss broderick like cool story you need to lose I mean, it just takes you know, time. I mean, again, you're talking about might, you know people use these goofy euphemisms, but then when they become inconvenient, they stop using them. You know, if you think of the mitochondria as the the engine or the the furnace of the cell, well, <laughs> if you have a fireplace or a furnace of a given size, that by definition means there is a finite amount of fuel you can put into it at any given time. You can't put one ton of coal in a half ton oven; it just doesn't mm. fucking work. So there is ultimately that logjam of you have given organelles that can only do processes at a given speed. There is no faster answer. This is a, a, a you know that moment that a conniption that light moment bulb. of clarity light bulb moment. So, I guess for our listeners that are like, 
irrespective of, of how much uh, work they do, how much cardio they do, how much energy they reduce their intake by, the process just takes time. If you want to lose X amount of fat, being in a, a, a more significant calorie deficit or doing even more energy expenditure is not necessarily going to get you leaner faster. That process is still... Uh, it will probably cut ca- capped. Yeah, like yeah. it's 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 just like uh, Broderick said. That's what you're alluding to. Um, I think Broderick in that, you know, it just takes time. You can't you can't rush the human body, even if you you force various things upon uh, 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 upon it and um, various supplements upon it. It still just takes time. And I would say one thousand percent. I see this with all my athletes. As much as you know, I might want to get them. Uh, leaner sooner or they're like oh i want to it's like yeah cool well we're heading in the right direction we're making progress it just takes time that's why you need to leave this length of time and when i look at athletes on stage you can go uh diet you know didn't diet long enough didn't diet long enough dieted perfectly perfectly not long enough eight three months out you know like Mm. it's just a matter of time and and individual variability that and and we spoke about this yesterday i think broderick where some people are just it it just takes a long, long, long time to, for those uh, processes to be set up and actually occur. Mm. You know, the next Absolutely. person might take, you know, it might happen in a week that can start reducing body fat, but you might be such that those processes just take a long time to upregulate and the body to actually become a, a, a fat-burning machine. Change. Homeostasis. Yeah. Some people are programmed with much more, uh, um, you know, well-established yeah. And less movable set points and it takes a vast amount of information over a vast period of time for the body and, to recognize that a demand is going to pose and, and, and consistency that's what we spoke about it's consistent exactly. information like I said Same you want to be 100 time. kilos yeah. every day you're eating sleeping training to be 100 kilos if you want to be 4% body fat you then every single train, second dose you live you sleep as if you have already achieved that goal that's the only way you can achieve that goal because if you miss any one of those steps, the body will see the gap in information and not achieve that. And, and, and I guess that's the funny thing when you first start dieting. There's probably lots of gaps, you know, but then as the dieting process, yeah. you know, you start seeing a bit, of, you get a little bit better and a slightly less uh, handful of nuts here and there and, and, you know, bowl of cereal in the middle of the night as you start seeing results <laughs> and you all of a sudden, you know, you start getting in shape. But it's no coincidence that it's, time that's occurred and, and consistency compare what you're doing Absolutely. now to what you were doing you know six weeks ago at the start of the prep well now you you're you're on point everything's measured everything's weighed devil's in the detail so i think that's a a really uh, important uh, concept to grasp it's that consistency over time mm. fascinating i was wondering if you guys could indulge me for a moment you go, go for it I, I, it's, it's literally this will take but a couple seconds, and it's just me being a sarcastic <laughs> dick. But uh, it's really what I excel at. Yeah. Um. From our, from our last talk, most of the emails I got were not, you know, oh your talk was good or whatever, or oh my god I can't believe you blasphemed insulin. Of course insulin's a storage hormone, but you don't know anything about biology. So I want to address the storage hormone thing for one second. And I'm exaggerating it, mate, I think it. only like five minutes after that email, but <laughs> still, it's enough to fucking piss me off. <laughs> so anyway, I have in front of me a Dell laptop, and on it, I've drawn up Wikipedia. Now, I know Wikipedia is not the bastion of 
fucking high science or whatever. I get it. I'm, I, I went to school. I know that. But <laughs> my point is, is I didn't write this. This is not me. This yeah. is some other guy that thinks he's pretty smart, too. Mm -hmm. So I'd like to read the first paragraph to everyone just in case they're too dumb or lazy to get Wikipedia out and read it the fucking cells. So anyway, here we have insulin. And it says from Wikipedia, the free encyclopedia, right under it, neck lever. And it says, insulin is a hormone made by the pancreas in the body that controls the glucose level in the blood. Uh -huh. Notice it didn't say storage. It said control. control. I use the word yeah. regulate. But control and regulate are considerably closer synonyms nice. than regulate and storage. Mm -hmm. But anyway, I digress. This isn't about me. And it says, <laughs> uh, people who cannot make insulin in their bodies or who make but their bodies cannot properly use that insulin have a disease called diabetes. When blood glucose levels below, fall below a certain level, the human body begins to use stored sugar as an energy source through glycogenesis. Uh, the process breaks down the glycogen stored in the liver and muscles into glucose, which can be used as an energy source. Next sentence, insulin is a central metabolic control. Again, they use the word control. I used regulate, but they're awful similar. Mm. Yeah. Okay, insulin is the central con metabolic control mechanism. Insulin is also used as a control signal to other body systems, such as amino acid uptake and blood cells. In addition, it has seven other anabolic, big word, it's even in blue, anabolic effects throughout the body. Insulin also affects vascular compliance and cognition. And it goes on to say a whole bunch more about insulin. It's a 51 amino acid polypeptide of 5,808 da. Uh, and it's complicated, but anyway, notice nowhere in that. And I didn't write this, nor do I have any influence over the person that did. No mention of storage. Not a storage hormone, you numb nuts. It doesn't store. Stop it! Stop listening to Dave Palumbo. No! Yeah, just work. had to clear, cleanse. clear the, yeah. Just had to cleanse. Just had to get purge. off your chest. Purge. Yeah, mm. it was yeah. a real purge. Purge valve. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of merciful storage hormone. That's there you go. I thought you were going to get a couple of well, widgets we out. a furniture moving hormone, too, and a fucking parking <laughs> space. Yeah. Dumbass. Yeah. All right, all right. All very right. good, very good. All right. Well, one, one final, just a, a curious one, slightly off topic, Broderick. With the uh, evolution, I was sort of sniffing around at, at various things on YouTube As the other you day and came across uh, Terence McKenna talking about his the yeah. theory of evolution and humans developing, uh, I guess, the sort of the, the modern conscious mind that we have based off hallucinogenic plants and mushrooms. Oh. Well, have you been exposed to some of his work? As a matter of fact, I've read all of Terence McKenna's books and listened to a couple of his uh, talks. And you are, of course, speaking of the person who claims to have taken a heroic dose of psilocybin. Yes. So, yes, I'm very familiar with Terrence McKenna. <laughs> and um, I don't know how much psychedelics played in the role of the development of human consciousness. Uh, I suspect it was slightly other mechanisms. But um, he, he's certainly entitled to that point. He certainly seemed to enjoy that vector himself. Yeah. So, uh, you know, fair play to him. Yeah, look, he's very entertaining and uh, very articulate and, and makes a, a very good argument from his point of view, but fascinating stuff. I guess we'll never really know. You were sold on it, Tommy. You went, oh, yeah, you, you went and got I'm, some mushrooms I'm in honey. To, yeah, I'm going to go to Peru next year and get on it. <laughs> you know what? I have far too... I have very limited experience with drugs of any kind, but I did, in fact, I went to college in, in the southwest of the United States, 
and uh, peyote cactuses grow wild. And I did have a peyote experience, and it did not go well. <laughs> I have a very rigid mind, and it does not tolerate things going fucking haywire. Yeah. I spent 14 hours standing on a rock pontificating to the cosmos that it was behaving poorly, and uh, it just wasn't a very <laughs> enjoyable time. <laughs> <laughs> sounds good. hilarious, yeah. man. I want to see that. Fantastic. That'll make for yeah, a good podcast I, episode. I love, being, I, I love being funny at my own mental health expense, but yes, yeah. yes, I did do that, and no, it didn't go well. Okay, well done. All right. Thanks Excellent. again, Broderick. So, uh, that wraps up another episode uh, with yourself uh, pushing the buttons there, Broderick. For, for our listeners that are super keen to uh, to know a little bit more about you, what can they do? Uh, never call insulin a storage hormone. <laughs> and and if, that, if that were the case, then they could find me via my website at uh, www.teameviligsp.com and that uh, same Team Evil GSP carries over all the social media Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all that goodness. Awesome. And you, and you got some uh, time in your schedule for mentor sessions, things like that, if you do want to learn more from uh, Straight from the Horse's Mouth, which uh, I myself are doing, and Tommy yep. and a few other colleagues are taking you up on that offer and uh, enjoying the, the experience. So uh, thanks again for the day, Broderick. And um, yeah, well, let's see what uh, what feathers we can ruffle with this episode. Yeah. We'll this no problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank thanks, you, Broderick. Talk we'll to you soon, mate. Okay, bye. bye. why he works hard <laughs> so he's got to work hard <laughs> keep him busy escape it okay there he was Broderick Chavez it's always such oh, a pleasure always such a pleasure to have him to have him on the program and, and really uh, illuminating stuff there fascinating yep, yep, yep. yep we'll get him back on again in a couple of weeks yep I'll, I'll, we'll step back yep. from that we'll digest what he's saying we'll mm-hmm, pick out the bits mm-hmm. we don't understand and mm-hmm. we'll get him to come back and expand even further elaborate it's for this, us this, this layman's isn't... terms are even more yeah. than what he's done so far so. never ending uh, never ending expansion with Broderick so mm. we might get him out uh, early 2018 yeah that's in the pipe in the, the pipe, the pipe. he's penciled it in so he's more yeah. than happy to okay. uh, just logistically yeah, we've got to get everything uh, lined up. Shout out to Dean McKillop, Queensland. To yes. See if we can uh, get some help to bring him out. But looking forward to that. Right. Speaking of pipe, Rawdon, um, uh, the, the challenge is out there. Challenge Anyone is out can, there. you know, drop the strides and lay one straight <laughs> into it. And we've got to play it. Warts and all. Warts and all on it's the going, speak pipe. It's going to air. You can find that on the right-hand side of the Under the Bar podcast website. Yep. And uh, feel free to send us any emails and questions. Yeah. If they want to find you, it's the Dubois Method. Method. Facebook, Insta. Yep. Uh, I'm TomHewitt.com.au. Website hasn't been touched in ages. I'm going to give it a full overhaul. <laughs> Working over. Yep. Uh, so that's about it. If you want to get in contact with our resident uh, Wookiee, uh, all the to. W's, uh, Wookiee.com forward slash uh, she's on top and, <laughs> uh, slash gaining ascendancy.com. Yes. Okay, uh, done. All right, have done a wonderful day. See you, bye. Bye. Bye.